The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. So this morning, if you look at your notes, the title of the message is The Cure for Anxiety. So let me just ask you a question here this morning. How many of you, you know, just being honest, I'll be the first one to raise my hand, have, have a problem with worry, with anxiety, you're maybe a little bit of a worry wart, and it's just kind of the way you've learned to live. Let me see your hands. Okay. No condemnation. You're in the house. Okay. Put your hands down. Let me ask, how many of you pretty much, you don't worry about anything, and you're just, you, you don't worry at all? Let me see. Raise your hands. Okay. You guys can all leave. <laughs> you don't need this. No. Look, on a human level, uh, we live in an imperfect world. We all battle uh, doubts and worry, and, and I'm going to say that the root of all of that comes from anxiety. We live in a, how many would agree we live in a very anxious generation right now? There's a lot of anxiety in the world, and so we're going to tell a story. If you've ever read the Gospels, it's a pretty familiar story of the one that Jesus said of all those who had come before him, none was greater than John the Baptist. And yet John the Baptist, who was such a mighty man of God who came in the spirit and power of Elijah, gets thrown into prison. And the next thing you know, he, this mighty man of God, this prophet of God, is overwhelmed with anxiety, with worry, uh, with doubts. So if that is you, if you raise your hand about wrestling with worry, you're in good company. Um, so let's bow our heads and let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you. I know that this is a word uh, fitly spoken for such a time as this. And Lord, I know that there are some who are in circumstances where this is a divine word. It's like a living word. It is exactly what they need to hear at this moment in their lives. Lord, I want to thank you for others that are doing great. They're wonderful. Things are good. The wind is at their back. Uh, they are enjoying life. But Lord, we know that life has many challenges, many seasons. They've probably already been in situations and under circumstances that they did have stress and worry and anxiety. So may all of us here what the Spirit would say to our hearts today. And it's in Jesus' mighty and wonderful name we pray and ask all of these things. And everyone said, amen. Um, you know, a lot of people, there's a lot of things to worry about. One of the most common things that people worry about is flying, getting on a plane. Uh, my mom was one of those. I mean, when I was five years old, my two twin brothers were, I guess, four, somewhere in that uh, my mom and dad went up, uh, and I think somewhere near Long Beach, and we got in the little puddle jumper to f just do a little flight over to the Catalina Islands and enjoy the day. And apparently, it was a young pilot uh, feeling his oats. He, so as he's kind of circling around with the plane, before he takes off for Catalina, he goes down and dips one of the wings in the water. Can you imagine that? And water sprayed up on the thing. Me and my brothers were like, woohoo! And my mom was like, <gasps> you know, I guess my dad says when we landed at Catalina, there was this older guy that came up and ripped that guy up one side down the other. But anyway, let me just say my mom never got on a plane again the rest of her life. So anyway, people worry about flying. But did you know that more people die every year falling out of bed 
600 Americans fell out of bed and died. Uh, and then, of course, more people die falling downstairs than die from planes, or more people with food caught in their throat. So the moral of the story is, you know, don't get out of bed, don't eat, don't, no. <laughs> now, this is a true story. Recently, up in Orange County, they had a helicopter, and the Orange County Sheriff's Department was flying and overlooking the shores, and they looked down, all the little paddleboarders and surfers and the little swimmers and stuff. And you can see pretty good from those helicopters sometimes on there. And they looked down, and the guys, the, the sheriffs, saw 15 white sharks hovering all around the people. So they, they called the lifeguard, and so the lifeguard said, hey, like, you guys, you know. <laughs> I don't know why that voice comes into my head, but, you know, the, you know the, 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 the surf guys. There's like 15 great sharks in the water. Please make your way to the shores calmly. <laughs> wow. Look, if that's me and I'm the lifeguard, I'm going, sharks, right? <laughs> or if I was going to do it calm, I would say, hey, those of you that are out surfing right now, there's like 15 great white sharks and you're all going to die. <laughs> so please repeat this prayer after me. Our Father who art in heaven. No. Um, anyway, worry, anxiety, there's a lot of stuff to worry about. Open your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 11. We're going to look at a real story um, uh, and, and anxiety that was in John the Baptist. So we're going to, life lesson number one. We've only got a handful of these, but sometimes we need fresh encouragement. John is in prison. And he sends word out to Jesus, hey, what's going on? Why am I in prison? Uh, and all of us need fresh encouragement from time to time. We read beginning in verse 1. Now it came to pass, when Jesus finished commanding his 12 disciples, that he departed from there to teach and to preach in their cities. And when John had heard in prison about the works of Christ... He sent two of his disciples and said to him, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? John was worried, and he had a lot of anxiety. Back in 1947, a man named W.H. Auden wrote a very long poem, uh, and, and it really caught uh, people read it everywhere. And in fact, he won the Pulitzer Prize uh, for this poem. And he was a very famous uh, writer of poetry. Today, you know, many years later, we don't so much remember the content or maybe you haven't even read the poem, but everybody today still remembers the title for which he got the Pulitzer Prize. The title of the poem was The Age of Anxiety. And in many ways, 1947 was right after, obviously, World War II. And then the year before, the rebirth of Israel, and the world has been in a state of unprecedented modern anxiety. And I don't have to tell you the statistics, you hear it all the time on social media, of how our culture is dealing with the stress. On the one hand, all the blessings and all the benefits of all the technology, I mean, at a finger touch, you can ask any question, find out what's going on. You can hear the news of the whole world. 
The problem is there's a lot of bad news in the world, and the bad news often leads, and a lot of the bad news brings us to a place of anxiety. Here was John. He is in a dark, stifling dungeon that really was little more than a pit, a hole in the ground. By the way, do you know um, how long John the Baptist's ministry was? The limelight was upon him, uh, and, and he was preaching, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. His ministry, though, only lasted, the best Bible commentators can come up with, his ministry lasted about six months. Six months, but he ignited a fire that lit a revolution within the masses, even of Jerusalem, who were coming out to the desert because Israel had not heard a, the voice of a prophet for 400 years. The last um, book of the Old Testament, you got Genesis, but it ends with Malachi. And from the days of the prophet Malachi, Israel was not listening. They were not paying attention to God. And God was like, okay, you're not listening. Why should I talk? And he was silent. But after 400 years, God struck a match out in the wilderness through a man named John. John looked and dressed like the prophet Elijah. And he had the message of the prophet Elijah, repent for the kingdom of heaven is coming. But he didn't even preach to crowds and he didn't even preach in Jerusalem. He went out into the desert. His first sermons were only heard by the animals of the wilderness. His first preaching to repent were mountains, you will be brought down. Valleys, you shall swell. Animals, prepare the way of the Lord, for the king is on his way. He preached to nature. And apparently there were a couple of people, you know, because there was the temple and religious stuff going on in Jerusalem, but it was kind of external, it was kind of religious, and it really wasn't catching fire with anybody. And somebody was out in the wilderness, and they heard this guy, and they went, oh, my word, that was on fire. That's the word of God. A prophet is in the wilderness, and they went back to Jerusalem, and then dozens started going, and then hundreds, and then thousands, and before you know it, even the leaders of religion, Pharisees, Sadducees, started going out into the wilderness, and John was preaching the message of repentance. But now he is in prison because, because he was a man of God, and he was a prophet of God, and he came in the spirit and power of Elijah. He pointed his finger at the position of power. A man named King uh, Herod Antipas, the son of Herod the Great. And Herod Antipas was in an adulterous relationship with a woman, not his wife, named Herodias. And John said, repent, for the kingdom of God is coming. And the next thing you know, John, the prophet, is landed in jail. And while he's in jail, he falls into despair, discouragement, depression, anxiety, and full of all kinds of doubts. Now, John was definitely a mighty prophet. He was holy. He was faithful to the Lord. He was loyal. He was selfless. He was devoted. He was filled with the Holy Spirit, as we know, from his, while his mom had him in her womb. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. And his entire life, he had lived under the Nazarite vow. There is no more kind of dedication for a Jewish man than to live a Nazarite vow. But now he had to have wondered... So what happened? 
you know, I, I, I was to point the way, and then God said that I was to prepare the way for the Messiah. I asked him, who's going to be the Messiah? And he spoke to me and told me, the man whom you baptize and upon whom you've seen the heavens open and the Holy Spirit descend in the form of a dove and light upon him, fall upon him, that's the one. John saw all of that. But now, after six months, he is arrested. He spoke the truth. He is in prison. He is now alone. He is isolated. He is confused, and he's going, what is happening? So I want you to look here. Um, The first thing that we want to know, what did John do? How did he respond? What can we learn from him? Is this, be honest about our feelings. Again, verse 2, when John heard in prison about the works of the Messiah, he sent two of his disciples and said to him, are you the one coming, or are you the coming one? Or do we look for another? It's easy for us to sympathize with John as he is suffering in prison. He was a man who liked the wide open spaces. He was the kind of man that liked the desert. And now he's confined indoors. He was called from birth to be a preacher of righteousness and the king. Now he is silenced. He announced judgment is coming to you, O Israel, let alone to the world and to the nations and to Rome. And yet instead, he's the one in prison as if he is the one being judged. I think that in this case, doubt, his doubts may be better understood as what is the root of doubts, anxiety or perplexity. And if you are someone who is a believer, but you wrestle with doubts, I want you to know from the story of John the Baptist, you are not alone. And by the way, you're in extremely good company. Virtually all the references to doubt in the Gospels are about believers who are wrestling with, I know this about you, God, and you're good, and you're all loving, and you're all powerful, so why am I here? What's going on? Why aren't you using your power? And what are you doing about it? Now, I put into your notes, very briefly, I went to the Webster's Dictionary. What does anxiety mean? Number one, an uneasiness and distress about an uncertainty. Uh, They say that, you know, nearly 90% of the things we worry about never even come to pass. But we don't know what's going to happen, and so we're caught up with it. We're worried about it. It's uncertain. Number two, an intense fear or dread lacking a clearly defined cause or a specific threat. So anxiety is a human condition, especially in a fallen world. So my question this morning is, what do we do when we're doing everything right as much as we can imagine, as much as we can possibly try to do? We're trying to do everything right, trying to believe in the Lord. I'm trying to follow the Lord. I'm here I am in church. I'm reading my Bible. I'm engaged in what God is doing. And yet, why am I here? Why am I in this pit? Why are these miserable circumstances taking place to me? Have you ever been there? I think we've all been there. Many times, as believers, we find ourselves caught in this trap. Two contradictory things are battling and fighting each other. Number one, I shouldn't feel this way. I'm a Christian. Number two, I do feel this way. You know that battle, that struggle? I shouldn't feel this way, but I sure do feel this way. 
What do we do when we discover that our feelings are not what a good Christian should be feeling? And here's what I want to share with you, what we can learn from this prophet named John the Baptist. He was honest about his feelings with God. I want to share with you this scripture. It's Psalm uh, 139, David, um, the Psalms. And by the way, I want to I want to speak to your spirit here, right here, right now. In the name of Jesus, may every spirit who hears this and hears my voice, I am, I am touching you in your spirit right now. Hear my voice. Read the Psalms regularly. They will teach you how to relate to God emotionally. And I will share this with you as you begin reading the Psalms. Uh, as I, I remember being a young believer and reading, you know, being, now I'm a Christian and we're supposed to be good and I go to Sunday school and we're trying to be a light and a witness to the world. And then I'm reading the Psalms and I go, wow, David's kind of a wild guy. He got mad at his enemies and he put it in his Psalms. And I remember reading this one where he says, God, my enemies, I can't stand them. Would you just break their teeth and their jaws? And I was like, cool, you can do that. You can feel that. You could pray that, write that, and then put it to music. That's what David did. Now, read with me Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. Let's read it out loud. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. And see if there is any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Here's what some people, whether consciously or unconsciously, think. To be a Christian means you have to feel always a certain way. You always have to feel Christian and have Christian feelings. In order to fulfill that, you have to deny a lot of feelings that you actually have. I want to tell you, no, you do not. It is not being a good Christian to deny the truth and the honesty of how you really feel. Oh, God, I don't want to say anything. I don't want to hurt your feelings, but you're really, it's not really working out very well for me. No. Listen, number one, when God knows how you really feel, he knows you're ticked off. He knows you're mad. He knows you're angry. He knows you're upset. He knows you have anxiety and doubts or whatever. So you, we never, by pretending, accomplish anything. God, you see my heart. Search my heart. Lord, if I do have anything wrong. Now, obviously, Jesus comes in the New Testament and says, love your enemies. Okay, so I got to love my enemies. But in reality, sometimes I feel like, God, would you go get them a little bit? Just pound them a little, not too much, but, you know, teach them a lesson. Would that be so bad? That's, come on. Do anybody feel like that once in a while? Open their eyes, God, whatever it takes. So we pray that way. Well, look, it's, it's, uh, David teaches us how to be real how to be raw, how to be emotional, how to be honest. I want to suggest to you that instead of denying his true feelings, David faced them, and then he did one more thing. He shared them with God. Now, here's where it doesn't become healthy. It's when you only have all those bad feelings, but you don't share it with God. You just hold it in yourself, and then you start burning and seething into anger and into revenge and into all kinds of bitterness and health problems that will come to you. So what is the difference between feeling all these things? It's what you do with them. You don't just internalize them and stew in them. You share them openly and honestly with God. That's what David teaches us in the Psalms. 
That's why he kind of goes back and forth. Lord, go get him. And then he says, but lead me and guide me. Search me, O God. See all the anxiety and anxious thoughts I have. If there's any wicked way in me, lead me in the way everlasting. Be a good repenter. Repent a lot. God, this is how I feel. I know it's not right, but I'm your son, and this is how I'm feeling right now, and I just want to be open. I want to be honest, and I'm sorry for it. Forgive me, but here's where I'm at. God can handle it. Let me, let me assure you, his shoulders are very, very broad. He can handle you being honest with him. And in fact, it's healthy for us to be emotionally honest in our prayer life. And I want to encourage you again that, when, you know, when you read the Psalms, and David is sharing, he doesn't just share about his fears or his anger emotionally, but he also shares his joys. And a lot of times in our devotional time, we study about David and how he was angry, and we study about David. He was so happy. He was crying out to the rocks, let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. We read it. We've read our assignment. We check it off the list, and we go, I've done it. But that's not what the book of Psalms, let alone your Bible reading, God is not asking you to study it or talk about it or merely learn information concerning it. He wants you to live it. It means that you express when you're honest and angry and frustrated or confused, God, I don't like it. I don't get it. And I'm throwing it all up to you. I'm angry as I can possibly be about this situation and these people. But at the same time, Lord, I ask you to search my heart. If there's anything that I need to repent of, Lord, God have mercy upon me. Forgive me. I know that you've asked us to love our enemies. And at the same time, when you want to rejoice, and David says, let everything that hath breath rejoice and praise the Lord and shout unto the Lord. You don't just read about it. Do it. I want you to look at the Bible as something not to study and to read, but something to live and to do. The more you start doing what you read, now you're entering in. That's what God always wanted. That's what relationship is all about. Can I hear an amen on that? Okay. So number one, we have to share and be honest about our emotions. Now number two, write this down, we have to admit our fears to the Lord. So fear is plural. Um, again, verse three, here's what I say, uh, verses two and three. And when John had heard in prison, those are his circumstances. Maybe you can relate something else. I feel like I'm in prison. I'm in a darkness. I'm in depression. I'm in frustration. I'm in total anger. I'm in a miserable place, prison. And I've heard in prison about the works of Christ, power, healings, miracles, deliverance, that he sent two of his disciples and said to him, are you the one coming or do we look for another? Now, on, on one level, John is being honest emotionally with God. But on another level, I believe he is admitting his fear. You go, what do you mean? I believe that John is opening up his heart and admitting he was afraid he had made a mistake. Are you really the Messiah or should we look for another one? Now, this is the same John who knew he's the one that heard God speak to him. He's the one that, uh, that, that finally the people said, finally a prophet after 400 years with fire, with power, with righteousness, with the spirit, with passion. And he's the one who heard God say, the one who you will 
baptized, where the heavens open and the Holy Spirit descends. That's the one. And then he saw when he baptized Jesus, the heavens split open. The Holy Spirit was visible to John in the form of a dove and landed upon and lighted upon Jesus Christ. He knew that. But now, by, he, he's speaking emotionally here, but he is admitting his fears. Did I blow it? Did I make a mistake? What I, and I hope this is a word of encouragement to all of you, because look, I know that there are those, not only here, but those that are listening, who, you know, you, you finally, you came to that point of decision, and you finally said, I'm all in. I am surrendering my life, my will. Lord, I, I want you. I want to honor you, and I want to follow you. And then it seems like the moment that a person decides to be all in, to get serious and to really surrender the complete life, future, eternity of their lives to the will of God and to the Word of God, sometimes literally all hell breaks loose. And you're going, what is, is this how you reward people that give in, that surrender, that get doubled down, that get dedicated, and now the world blows up? What am I doing here? God, you're almighty. God, you're all-powerful. God, you are good. God, you are loving. I declared your word. I told them to repent. The Son of God is here. The Messiah is among us. Miracles happening. But are you the one? Or should I look for another? This is a fear that many people have, especially when they're deeply committed to the Lord, and then things don't work out the way you thought they would, or they're not working out the way you think they should. What do you do? Well, you start asking questions. Have I made the right choice? Is this how I am being rewarded for my commitment to the Lord? And by the way, doesn't the Lord care what I'm going through, what I'm suffering? Can't he see this isn't fair? And then the ultimate one, God, you hurt my feelings. (laughs) How could you treat your son like this or your daughter like this? Look with me in Psalm 34, verses 4 through 7. Just in a few verses, again, David teaches us, echoes for us, models for us. There's a reason why God looked at David and said, now that's a man after my own heart. Model your discipleship along his line. So let's read this out loud together. I sought the Lord, and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. They looked to him and were radiant, and their faces were not ashamed. This poor man cried out, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps all around those who fear him and delivers them. David was afraid. Now, here's the story of David. In a nutshell, he's a, you know, a young guy, and he's totally committed to the Lord, and he kills a lion one time. He's a shepherd. And, and so the father is a shepherd, and so he has his young son out in the fields and watching over the sheep. And, you know, if you're a young guy, teenager, and a lion grabs one of the sheep, you know, you're like, well, at least I saved 99 and spared my life. David's like, no, you ain't getting one of my dad's sheep. I'll put myself and my life on the line between the lion and the sheep. And God saw that and go, now that's the kind of man I need to sit on the throne of Israel, that will put himself between the sheep and the shepherd. So this was something that David had. And and yet David, you know, he gets anointed 
Uh, He kills Goliath, and then he gets told, you're going to be the king of all of Israel. Wow! How incredible is that? And from the moment he is anointed and told and prophesied, you will be the king over all of Israel, he runs for his life because there's a man on the throne named Saul. His son, Jonathan, is best friends with David, but Saul can't stand. He's jealous of David, and he starts throwing spears at him during lunch. If you're having lunch with the king and he throws a spear at you, that's not a good sign. (laughs) So he has to run and flee for his life, and Saul sends professional, you know, team from, you know, special forces guys from the Israeli army to go find David and bring him in and kill him. How long? Seven years. So, God, let me get this straight. I'm the anointed one. I'm the called one. I'm going to be the king of all Israel, and I am living in the desert, in the wilderness, running for my life and hiding in caves. And David wrote a lot of his psalms, a lot of the psalms in the Bible were written in those seven years where David was hiding in the caves. Talk about anxiety. Every night, he's looking over his shoulder, who's going to grab me and slay me from King Saul? And he wrote these psalms of honesty about his emotions and about his fears. And so David, when he says, this poor man cried out unto the Lord, and the Lord heard him and delivered him from all his fears, for the angel of the Lord encamps around those who seek him and follow him. That was a personal testimony. But listen, that's that's now my testimony. I don't just read it about David. I have personally lived it. I have been in circumstances where I cried out, not in a nice, polite, little, you know, Christian way, but in a raw, I'm crying out, God, where are you? Help me. I need you. Deliver me. And now I have my own testimony. This poor man cried out to the Lord. And the Lord heard him, me, and delivered him, me, out of all my fears. That's powerful. That's a testimony. And you all know this. In order to get a testimony, you've got to go through the test. So God will test us in order to give us that testimony. So we've got to be open to share our emotions, and then we have to be able to share our fears. And then the third thing is we need to ask others for help. Again, in verse 2, notice this little addition. And when John had heard in prison about the works of the Messiah, he sent two of his disciples. Underline that. And had them say to Jesus when they arrived, because he's in prison, are you the coming one or do we look for another? Ask others for help. John sent two of his disciples. There are some who will say, look, you know what? I mean, me and the church, we've had our issues. We don't always get along. You know, I I like the church. I just don't like all the people inside. So (laughs) that can be a problem. And there are people that will say, look, I have God, and he's all I need. However, God did not make the Christian life sustainable or blessed, isolated, It's not an individual sport or lifestyle. And God wants, we are dependent upon uh, one another. Now, God uses all kinds of resources to help us. The Bible does say that he uses angels as ministering spirits. He also uses the witness of creation. There's many wonderful things that reflect the beauty of God, the creation of God, the power of God, the glory of God. But I want you to know this. Listen carefully. Most of all, God uses other people 
to bring you His personal love and grace into your life. God uses people. That's why He said, look, reducible to if two or three gather together in my name, then I'll be with you, then I'll be among you, and then whatever you bind will be bound, and whatever you bless will be blessed. But he doesn't single out, if you're just one loner, I'm going to really come there. God is all about family. Look, he's got a family in heaven. He wants a family on earth, and one day he's going to blend the two families together, but it's all about family. It's not about you being alone. Um, And so I love this. Uh, it's very, very important uh, that we, we learn these things. First Peter, let's look at First Peter chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. Let's read this out loud together. But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. And above all things, have fervent love for one another. For love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Now, the first thing I want you to notice about this is who wrote it? Peter. Talk about the guy that wanted to be the Lone Ranger. That was Peter. But God did a transformation in Peter's life who relied on himself a lot. And a lot of people are comfortable with, I don't trust other people. I only trust me, me and God. But God had to break Peter down. And guess what? God bonded with Peter. Peter became part of a very dynamic duo that becomes known throughout the Gospels and then through the book of Acts as Peter and John. Peter needed a John. And if I might add, John needed a Peter. They needed each other. They complemented one another. And here was John in prison. He had to be open emotionally. He had to admit his fears. And then he's in prison. So he needed. God sometimes allows us circumstantially to be alone or isolated so that we have to ask a couple of other people, I'm trapped. I need help. Now, that could be a situation where either through an addiction, an overwhelming anxiety, a physical situation that you're just, you kind of, you gotta reach out. You need a couple of people to help you. That's the way God designed it. And as Peter himself says, and above all things, have fervent love for one another. Love covers a multitude of sins. So if you're going to hang out with people, which God designed you. So again, you were designed mentally, physically, emotionally on a cellular level to not be a lone ranger. We're made for one another. And therefore, you got to be forgiving. you got to forgive a lot. Forgive yourself a lot. Forgive others a lot. Love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another. And don't keep grumbling and complaining about them. And as each one has a gift. See, that's the deal. God didn't give all the gifts. I don't have all the gifts. i got a few And I, you know, so I'm the pastor teacher. And so I bring words of encouragement and so forth and bring the word. But there are other gifts, okay, music and worship. But there are many other gifts. And quite frankly, this is the the beauty of it. You need my gifts, but I need your gifts. And only when we come together do you kind of have the whole thing. So to reduce yourself to being alone, you are cutting yourself off from the multitude and the variety of the blessings and the gifts of God. I can honestly say to you, and I'm sure 
Uh, my wife Vicky would agree with me that the greatest gifts, greatest gifts that God has given to us have been the people that God has brought into our lives and how God has used them to speak into our lives and to pray for us and to model for us and to teach us and mentor us and disciple us and encourage us and many of you. Uh, so look, you and I have an enemy and he was here along with his minions, the fallen angels, before mankind was even created. So he saw day one, Adam and Eve, and he's seen all of human history. So he's got us down. And let me tell you his strategy. His strategy is this. He's a predator. When Jesus saw us, he said, you guys remind me of sheep. I'm the shepherd. Sheep have no defense of all the animal kingdom. They're the only ones that can't do anything except just be woolly. That's it. Their only defense is to be in the flock. Why? Because the flock is where the shepherd is. The shepherd is our protection. So there's wolves and predators, and they keep their eyes. They look at all the sheep are like little in and out burgers to them. They can't wait to devour them, but they can't eat them because of that guy standing there, the shepherd. And the shepherd, they, they got their eyes, one eye on the sheep and one eye on the shepherd. And the shepherd will look after them, and he's got a rod. He's got a staff, the big long stick that he pulls them up out of the river. They fall over, go over the edge or whatever. But he's got a shorter one called the rod. And he trains daily for hours. Shepherd's got a lot of time. And they practice throwing that thing, you know, like the gangsters called it a rod, the gun. It's deadly. And that's what that short stick is. They learn how to use that, and they can split open the head of a lion or a predator or whatever it is and kill them. So what, is, what does the predator do? He follows the flock. He's got his eye on the shepherd, and he waits until the sheep does what? Gets alone, gets isolated. And then when you don't have time to respond or you've gone too far from the flock where the shepherd is, he comes to devour you. So very, very easy. Do not allow yourself to get alone or isolated from your family, from your friends, or from others. And if you are isolated in that way, that's when all the arrows of accusation and hopelessness and there's no way out and it's too late and you've gone too far and I've got you and you're going down and the arrows just start piling up. So I have a word from the Lord for you. Look to the flock and find the shepherd and run with everything you've got. Run to him, run to others, ask for help, cry out, call somebody, say, I hate to do this, but I need to open up. I need some help. I need somebody to encourage me. I need some counsel. I need some wisdom. I need somebody uh, to help you. And that's what the Lord will do. Amen? Okay, let's close with the, the last one here, verses four through six, because Jesus finally responds to John. John did the right things. He was open Emotionally, he shared his fears, and he sent two disciples to help him out in a time of need. So in verse 4, Jesus answered and said to them, Go and tell John the things which you hear and see. The blind see, and the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And... Tell John, blessed is he who is not offended because of me. I think the most important lesson of all is this. Do not be offended by God's ways or by God's timing. Just don't take offense. 
You can cry out, you can be emotionally honest, you cannot like it, you can complain, but you can say, but Lord, I still choose to trust in you. I cry out to you, I need you. And as you cry out to others as well, God will answer. Jesus' answer is a very delicate situation with a greatly beloved servant of the Lord, and he does it with great tenderness and very much uh, great tact. He reminds John of prophecies that he was well aware of, like Isaiah chapter 29, Isaiah chapter 35, where all these miracles will happen when the Messiah comes. And John, who came in the spirit and the power of Elijah, Elijah, the prophet, also had his day of discouragement. And God heard him and delivered him. And God heard John and delivered him. And then Jesus praised John. A little bit later, you know, he's not a popular teacher. He doesn't cater to the crowd. He spoke the truth, nor was he a reed vacillating in the wind. He came in the spirit and the power of Elijah, dressed like Elijah, the same message as Elijah to repent. But Israel would not hear it and they would not receive it. And they did not repent at that time. And God already knew that. He already prophesied and predicted that. Therefore, Jesus said, this time I will come as a lamb and die for the sins of the world on the cross and rise from the dead on the third day. And all who believe in me shall be raised to new life. But I'm going to go up to heaven and be at the right hand of my Father, and one day I will come back. I will come again. I will come a second time. And before the second coming, the real prophet Elijah will come. And he will be here upon the earth and prepare the way. So Malachi chapter five verses four, or chapter four, verses five and six. Let's read this out loud. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. The day of the Lord is a time of great tribulation that will come upon all the earth. And so the best we can do is humble ourselves, repent, and believe. Be honest with God with our feelings. Tell him our fears. Hold on to one another and trust in the Lord that he's coming for us all soon. Amen? Amen. Well, let's uh, close our Bibles, and why don't you bow your heads for a moment. I'll ask Gary and the worship team to come out. And just before we uh, close in prayer, I feel... The, the Lord impressed upon my heart that there, are, there is someone here this morning that this is a great uh, description of you. You're in some kind of an emotional prison or mental prison, relational prison. You're, you're in a pit, but you've devoted your life to the Lord. Uh, you, you love God, but you don't understand what God's doing right now, and you certainly don't see any manifestation of him using his power uh, to deliver you at this time. And so you're in a great conflict because you shouldn't feel this way because you're a dedicated child of God. And on the other hand, the reality is you do feel this way and you're not feeling good. And I believe that this word is a word from heaven. I mean, if Jesus himself could come down and be, you know, in physical form and share with you a word from his word, it would be to sit down and read this story of John the Baptist and then put his hand on your shoulder and say, I'm talking about you. This is a word for you. So before we 
uh, leave this morning, I want to, as your pastor, I want to pray for you. In fact, I want us to pray together. But if that's you, if you're in that place right now and wrestling with that uh, anxiety uh, and you're kind of in a, uh, you know, a, a bad place and you need some help and some supernatural deliverance, wherever you are, I want you to just put your hand up. Just put it up and then you can put it down after you've raised it. God bless you. Dozens and dozens of people all over the room. Okay, you can put them down. Now, would you just, while you're seated, lay your hands upon one another's shoulders. We're going to pray with and for one another. I want you to be in agreement with me in prayer. The reason that the Bible talks about us, there's, this is not merely symbolic. There is something released physically in the spiritual realm by us laying hands on one another because, I'll tell you why, every child of God here this morning is a mobile carrier of the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit can be released for ministry, comfort, healing, encouragement through the laying on of hands and through prayer and through the release of our faith. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, we are the body of Christ. We come before you in the name of the Lord Jesus, and we lay hands upon our brothers and sisters that are around us. Some, Lord, are themselves in need of ministry and healing and deliverance, and they're afraid, anxious, full of doubts, and yet they're laying hands on others. So, Lord, we especially pray for those who are in, a, in that place, May they know this was a word from heaven. It was a divine word. It was a direct word. It's not an accident that they're in church or that they're hearing this message at this moment. It was designed in heaven by you, of you, from you, a direct word for them to comfort them, to encourage them, and to let them know you see them and you see their suffering and you are moved with compassion and you do care. And you do suffer, of course, when your children are suffering. And that you will use your power, just like you did with John. He was faithful. He was obedient. He fulfilled his mission. And he received the reward for all of eternity for his faithful obedience to you. He didn't make a mistake. It wasn't a waste. But he was honored above all who had gone before him by the words of Jesus. What greater reward could there be above your name for all of eternity than that? So may they be blessed. May they be encouraged. May they be comforted. May they be uh, filled with the Holy Spirit. And Lord, if there are others that need to take another step and call someone or share their problems or connect or ask for help, Lord, I, give you, I pray that you would give them the courage to make that step, make that phone call, reach out, just like John did by sending the two disciples so they get the word of Jesus coming back, the word of prophecy, the word of comfort, the word from heaven, so that they too will be able to say for themselves, this poor man, this poor woman cried unto the Lord, and the Lord heard him or heard her and delivered us from all our fears. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' wonderful, mighty name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Maranatha Chapel. If you haven't already, please subscribe for weekly messages. Feel free to share this podcast and join us for our weekend services held Saturday evening or Sunday morning. 
Visit our website at www.maranathachapel.org for more information.